Hello and welcome to today's episode of Recovery Talk. So today we are going to talk about triggers and feeling triggered. We're going to talk about how to handle recovering in a world that very often reinforces disordered behaviors and also how to deal with triggers, trigger warnings, setting boundaries in conversations and dealing with triggering people. And also I'm going to talk a bit how an eating disorder paints your worldview and also give a bit of tough love regarding being triggered. I hope you're all doing lovely today. Uh, I am for sure. I've finally gotten settled in my new flat and I'm just buying plants upon plants upon plants. I cannot stop buying plants. Every day I buy a new plant. So I have a little jungle now, but I am thriving. So yeah, I'm sitting here in my jungle with my decaf for some placebo energy. I don't really drink much caffeine. I stick to decaf because, oof, anxiety, it's a thing. And I'm ready to have some real talk with you guys and talking about being triggered and how to handle it because this is quite unavoidable in recovery. So first of all, what does it mean to be triggered? So being triggered was a term that was originally used regarding PTSD, basically describing setting off an episode. And it has been quite a useful term. And now it's used about a lot of different things. And someone maybe say that it's been watered down a bit. And other will say, well, language does evolve and change over time to mean different things. But overall, in recovery, it describes the eating disorder being activated and being in this highly emotional state and wanting to engage in harmful behavior. So just hearing your eating disorder scream. That is how I use the word triggered in recovery. So I have some good news and some bad news. And to start with the bad news, and that is that in recovery, you will be triggered. (laughs) It will happen. It is going to happen. So you might as well just prepare for it. And yeah, some shielding from triggers is necessary to protect yourself. And I'll get back to this later. The good news is that it does get easier with time. You will not always freak out in the way that you perhaps are doing in recovery or during an active phase of an eating disorder. It will get easier with time to handle So again, this shielding thing that I'm talking about, it is not something you have to do forever. You don't always have to walk around protecting yourself from this dangerous diet culture world. And I also think if you do have that mindset, you're probably not gonna survive long in the wild (laughs) as a recovered person. It's important to acknowledge when you are triggered, but you you can't really control your feelings, but you can control your actions, right? So acknowledge when you feel triggered, but don't use that as a rationalization to jump into acting in disordered behaviors and then blaming everyone else. So it's all about that balance. Protect yourself, but also be aware that the whole world cannot accommodate to your recovery and feelings. You may have knowledge about, for instance, how diets don't work and how all bodies are good bodies, all of these things, and that's very important, but everyone else has also grown up in the same diet culture that you grown up in, and they might not know this, and it is important to challenge things when it comes up in a conversation, you hear someone being fat phobic or saying something uh, that, for instance, promotes diet culture, it's important to challenge that, but 
when you are vulnerable in recovery, it is also okay to set boundaries and step away from certain conversations and people. It is like what they say when you are on a plane, you know, in the case of an emergency, put on your own safety mask before helping others, right? So protect yourself first. If you are in a space to have conversations with the people around you about, for instance, diet culture and how it affects us and all the myths surrounding the dieting and dieting industry, then of course do that. But if you find that it just gives ammunition to your eating disorder, then it is also okay to take a step back. It is not your job to save the world right now because first you need to save yourself. A lot of people tell me like, oh, but Amalie, like my friends, they keep talking about this and my family, they talk about that and da, 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 da. And I hear that and I know that's frustrating when the people around you are engaging in diet culture and promoting things that you're trying to recover from, basically. But you are allowed to step out of conversations that you find triggers and harms you when you're in a vulnerable space in your own recovery. And I strongly encourage you to set boundaries with the people around you. Tell them like, hey, so food, body, exercise, these things are a bit of a sensitive topic for me right now. Or you can say flat out like, hey, I'm in recovery from an eating disorder, so I need to just protect myself. And certain conversations can be quite triggering. So I need to take a step back in this conversation. I would really appreciate if perhaps we, you could avoid having certain conversations around me. Most people, if this is said in a nice way, if it's said in a non-defensive way, I'll get back to that later. If it's said in a delivered in a nice way, then most people will accept that. And if they don't, like if that is a friend that wouldn't accept that, is that even a friend worth having? If you are very nicely telling your friend that you're feeling triggered by them talking about their diet and they keep going, that is a friend that is not really respecting you. And I understand it is difficult with family because you can't just like choose not to have your family right but you can choose when to exit for instance you might notice that your family might have a dieting conversation and they don't respect your boundaries not to do it you can remove yourself from the room you can put on some headphones and now it sounds a bit silly but that is sometimes what you need to do in recovery and i want to talk about defensiveness for a second because i said as long as you say it nicely this does not mean that you are obligated to be nice to people who are saying shitty things, not at all. It is not meant to tone police. What I'm saying, I'm just stating the fact that when you are talking to someone and you talk to them in a way that makes them feel like they are being attacked, judged, made out to be a bad person, etc., etc., they are more likely to respond with further defensiveness rather than hearing you out. And suddenly, instead of it being a space for you to share your perspective and have an open conversation, it becomes a, a, a battle, right? It becomes this uh, academic exercise almost, you know, this debate, right? This sport. <laughs> and that is not what you want because that will just give further ammunition to your eating disorder because you're gonna have arguments that is essentially the same arguments that your eating disorder will give you. So for your own sake, not for the comfort of the, of the person you're talking to, I'm talking simply for your own sake, try and not turn it into some kind of argument or fight or debate because you are the one who's gonna suffer the consequences of that. 
this is not me prioritizing the comfort of the recipient of the conversation. It is actually me prioritizing your comfort because the recipient is, is going to be fine. You are going to be triggered. And that is what we want to be careful with. So I want to talk a bit about how an eating disorder make you see the world. So I often use the metaphor of wearing glasses. When you have an eating disorder, also when you are in recovery from an eating disorder, and at times when you have had an eating disorder, maybe especially if you're fresh out of recovery, it is like you have a set of glasses on you where you filter the world through eating disorder glasses. And it's important to say that we all carry glasses. Whether we think we are or we not, we all are carrying glasses. We all view the world and the same events very differently depending on our own personal experience, how we're brought up, our own values, etc., etc. So everyone carries glasses. It's just about what kind of glasses you carry and being aware of those glasses. So as an example, a friend of mine is a very hardcore feminist and I'm also a feminist, but... Uh, she has some um, viewpoints and perceptions that I don't really share and at least not to that degree so for instance thinking that uh, being against shaving and thinking high heels are tools of patriarchy blah 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 well I'm a little bit more like hey if I want to shave my legs and put on makeup I'll do that you know but what I wanted to say is let's imagine me and my friend we stand in front of a newspaper stand and we see uh, the front page of a newspaper or magazine and I especially if you go a few years back when I was deep into my eating disorder or when I was fresh out of recovery I would automatically tune in and zoom in to the dieting ads and I'll be like oh my god diet culture it's everywhere it's eating us alive pun intended and then my friend who's a very hardcore feminist and that is her most important values and what she sees she would zoom into the ads that was about uh, maybe some women being very scantily dressed for the male gaze trying to sell a product or some kind of sexism she would find on the front page well i'll be tuned into diet culture and the thing is we are both right she's right that women's bodies are often used in a male gazy way to sell products she's right that there's a lot of sexist undertones when you read a newspaper read a magazine there's a lot of sexism out there that is true and i'm also right and i see it there is diet culture is there and it's it, it is there 100 percent. we are both right but we both filter in the things that we find most, I guess, triggering and what aligns with our view of the world and what we spend our time thinking about. And the reason why this is so important to say is that as you get more firm in your recovery, you will notice that your glasses, your eating disorder glasses, they tend to weaken. So you might look at the newspaper magazine and before you would have just go straight to the oh my god lose five kilos in two weeks ad and been super triggered well now that you are more recovered more firm in your recovery you might notice the news first <laughs> right you might notice the the puppy on the on the front page if there's a puppy on the front page would have been cool but you know you notice other things more or you might even have picked up some new glasses. Maybe you have suddenly gotten very into a specific branch of feminism. So now you are seeing that, you know. That is how it works. We all carry different glasses. And when you are in recovery or fresh out of recovery on an active phase of an eating disorder, you will carry very strong eating disorder glasses that make you see everything. You're going to see diet culture 
everywhere, right? You're going to see it everywhere. Is it everywhere? I mean, yeah, in the same way that the patriarchy is everywhere, but you might not notice the patriarchy everywhere because you're not wearing those glasses. I mean, maybe you're wearing both glasses. If so, oof, that sounds rough, but yeah. And I think this is an important question to ask yourself just outside of recovery as well. What kind of glasses are you wearing? And this is not to say that you you are wrong with those glasses you're wearing. Like, that's not to say that. It is more, is wearing those glasses helping you or is it harming you? And in the case of the eating disorder glasses, which will tend to pick up diet culture, yeah, that is an important thing to kind of be aware of, that we do live in a diet culture and that is harming people, especially fat people. We need to be aware of that. But you also need to be aware of you having these extremely strong emotional reactions. Is that helping the cause? Because I think sometimes we confuse emotional activation with action. That's not always the case. Instead, healing and coming to a point where you can actually be calm and reflective and then in return make changes and do things that actually help the cause is so much more important. If you're in the depths of your eating disorder, it's very unlikely that you'll be able to um, go into a conversation and actually make a difference and challenge these views and challenge the people who have certain views and therefore actually make a difference in how, <laughs> how they view the world. But if you're focusing on putting your own safety mask on first and then you can actually have conversations that are productive, helpful and change people's views, behaviors, thus also change the world, right? I also want to talk a bit about old triggers coming up after recovery. So I want to share a personal story for this because I had this happen to me was a few years ago and it's a bit of a funny story because at that point I had been recovered for so long. So I was in America, uh, I was staying at my then girlfriend's place and I was thirsty so I went to the fridge and I grabbed a Diet Coke and I started drinking it and she was like, oh, Diet Coke, that's really bad for you. And even though I had had the whole trip, I'd been eating everything in sight, I had no, like my eating disorder was like a distant memory. At the point she said that, I noticed myself getting activated or triggered. And let me tell you this, I was defending Diet Coke like I was the marketing and PR manager for Coca-Cola Inc. Like, I'm not joking. I was so passionately defending it. And she thought it was funny because for her, this was some kind of little, oh, you're getting a bit sassy, intellectual exercise situation where she was just being a little bit of a devil's advocate and arguing, oh, but artificial sweeteners, this and that. While I was activated and I couldn't quite tell why. And I think she also couldn't quite tell why I was so fired up. But here is the truth. If it's hysterical, it's often historical. When she said that diet soda was bad, it triggered some very, very, very old bits of me that had that fear of like food being bad or eating or drinking the wrong things. That was triggered. And she was attacking one of my safe foods because that was one of my safe foods back in, or safe drinks back in my eating disorder. And that felt, it felt painful. It felt like, oof, yeah, it, it, something came back there that was very confusing to me. And thankfully, I recognized it. So after some time, I was able to be like, hey, that brought up some stuff. That, that, that was like, oof, it awakened some monster that I thought I killed. 
And the truth is, sometimes the monsters we think we've killed, they're actually just deep asleep. So overall, I was activated because I felt one of my safe foods being uh, challenged, right? And that was felt almost like a personal attack because it felt like an attack on my safety. So it was not really about that Diet Coke at all. And yeah, this is important to be aware of that sometimes it's not necessarily about the the topic it's about something deeper if you find yourself having a very hysterical reaction you may have been triggered so what i could have done here is to demonize my ex-girlfriend for triggering me and being bad blah 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 or i can be like have some self-awareness and acknowledge that yeah like this this is a common belief this is a common conversation she does not mean anything bad and i also need to work on myself and my own triggers and knowing when i'm activated and then calmly explain to her like hey when you say that certain foods or drinks are bad that kind of triggers me because it took me a long time to get out of that mindset and also the food or drink that you just uh, challenged was something that i found safety in and that feels uncomfortable to me as soon as you see it as some kind of war of good or bad diet culture versus uh, anti-diet then you get a very polarized view with a lot of enemies and the thing is that with this view that is harming you more than your so-called enemies which are not even your enemies you know we are all grown up under the same culture not everyone has the knowledge you do doesn't make them bad people so for your own sake not for the other people's sake i mean we'll benefit them too but i'm predominantly caring about you right now have a view of the world and of people as not being good or bad for or against because that is gonna harm you instead make it a goal to come to a point in your own recovery where you're able to have productive conversation that challenges people and challenges their view and maybe even changes how they think and act in the world. Once again, I do want to reassure you that it gets easier with time. I was so scared that I would have to, you know, almost wrap myself in a bubble wrap blanket for the rest of my life that I could never face the world face society because it's too diet culture uh, infused but that's not really the case now when there are certain conversations I mean yeah I don't really like hearing people talking about their diet uh, but I'm able to handle it without going home and reconsidering whether or not to eat my dinner right so you will get more steady with time and with recovery the amount of people that i had to block or mute unfollow etc etc during my recovery and also a bit after my recovery it was a lot of people i had to do that to protect myself but also i couldn't do that forever and now i'm at a point where i'm not really concerned if someone's going to bring up their diet because that is not going to really make or break my own recovery my own remission so that should be the final goal, but that does take time and you might need to go through a temporary phase of having to kind of shell yourself in a bit, or not shell yourself in, but like put on a shield. A good tip on how to deal with certain triggers, especially if there are certain comments or situations that keep being brought up, is actually just to write down the response to it. So for instance, oh, but dieting is great. 
the response could be dieting has a 95% failure rate. You know, just an example. Write down counter arguments to your eating disorder or to the people who say certain things or the situation that keep being brought up or to the headlines in the media. Write down your rational counter arguments that debunk them and then take a look at that whenever you feel triggered. So the next time you've been in a certain conversation or read a certain headline, you have that reality check to look at. You have that rational counter argument. So for instance, someone is talking about their diet and your counter argument could be, dieting for me is not something I can do. I'm allergic to dieting. Dieting in me triggers this eating disorder reaction. I can't just go on a diet. I can never diet again. That just an example, because I often see that eating disorders, people eating disorders, in my opinion, my belief, are allergic to dieting and can't really go on a diet because that is too risky in terms of triggering the eating disorder. Also dieting suck, like it's, it's pointless. It's not, doesn't work it's just yeah and even if it did work in terms of making people lose weight we also need to unpack why do we see this as working why do we see this as a good thing why do we even need to lose weight why is that seen as a positive thing right this comes back to investigator investigating our own beliefs about food about bodies about health and when you are in a calmer space you can have these conversations with the people in your life or the people on your social media page whatsoever whatever you decide or you can maybe not if, if you prefer you don't you don't have to you're not obligated to be some kind of anti-diet culture influencer person just because you recover from eating disorder maybe you just want to take a step back that's okay too honestly but i of course encourage you to challenge things such as fat phobia when it comes up in a conversation like that's just human decency we all should do and then when it comes to trigger warnings I don't really think that is something we can constantly expect out in the real world. And I also don't necessarily think it does stop people from engaging with certain types of content, uh, like I'm thinking recovery-wise. I don't necessarily think most people will not swipe on a picture. If it's trigger warning, don't swipe to the next picture if you're triggered by this and that, or trigger warning, don't read, blah, blah. I think most people will kind of just ignore it. <laughs> I don't know, maybe you guys disagree. Maybe you guys are very actively avoiding when you see trigger warnings. You're just like, hey, okay, I'll respect that. I won't read. And if so, that's amazing. But I don't necessarily fully believe in them. But I would love to hear what you guys think. And maybe you disagree or had different experiences with it. 100%. Do let me know. I think one thing is giving a bit of a content warning. Like, hey, I'm doing a, for instance, oh, hey, I'm doing a podcast today. But in today's podcast, I will talk about this and that, which might be triggering for some people so listen with caution like these things i think is fine but i'm more thinking the trigger warning when people write like a tw and then you don't swipe or don't read or you know i don't necessarily think that's effective i don't know i don't know i don't really use trigger warnings that often so uh i would love to hear from maybe someone who uses it and someone who had a different perspective and now to a listener question, which is not from a listener because I'm pre-recording these episodes. <laughs> so this is actually from a recovery group that I run. And the question is, I'm at a healthy weight. Why do I still experience extreme hunger? So there are layers to this question and we're going <laughs> to peel the layers one by one. And the one thing we start with is healthy weight what is a healthy weight 
because we all have a different natural set point weight. And what this weight is, like, it really varies from person to person, right? Some people are naturally in a bit of a lower range and other people are in a higher range. But if you're someone who's, let's say, for example, your natural BMI range is around a BMI of, let's say, 25 to 27, staying at a BMI of 20, even though that's clinically a healthy BMI, but BMI, BMI scale is bullshit. Let's just get that out there. But just, you know. Then if you staying at a BMI of 20, if your natural BMI range, and I say range because BMI uh, or set point range rather than set point weight because our set point is a range, not exact number. And imagine if your set point is a BMI of, let's say, 25 to 27, and if you stay at a BMI of 20, even though that's clinically a healthy BMI, you're not really weight restored for your body. You're not at a healthy weight for your body. So weight restoration is all about getting to a body weight that is healthy for your body relative to your body's set point weight range. And now to the next part, are you eating enough? And are you eating a lot of different foods? Because a lot of people, they might be eating enough calorie-wise, they might be eating a lot, but they are not really allowing themselves to eat certain foods and forbidden fruit tastes the sweetest. If you're going through recovery, you're gonna be like, okay, well, I'm gonna eat 3000 calories or 5000 calories or whatever your needs are, but I'm only gonna eat so-called healthy foods. I'm not gonna eat any of this and any of that. Then chances are you're gonna feel like binging on these foods. You need to allow yourself the forbidden fruits as well. And that is how you make it lose your power over you. But overall, if you have extreme hunger, it means you need to eat. And very often I think people underestimate how much food they need in recovery and for how long they need a lot of food. We know that after recovery, a lot of people need quite a lot of food just to maintain their weight and just to maintain their recovery, need more foods than people without eating disorder, without a past of recovery, eating disorders, restriction, etc. So if you feel like when it comes to extreme hunger, I always encourage people don't overanalyze it so much. Don't feel like you need to intellectually debunk why it happens and know exactly what's going on. You just need to go with it. You just need to eat. And extreme hunger, it is a phase. It is not a permanent state. The thing with extreme hunger is that the more you try and fight it, the stronger it becomes. You just need to kind of go with it. And that is how, how, it, how it stops. If you're not going all in with it, chances are it's gonna lurk in the background quite a lot. You can't meditate yourself out of extreme hunger. You can't mindful eat yourself out of extreme hunger because it is a biological and psychological response to starvation and undernourishment. And also when I say starvation and undernourishment, this does not necessarily mean being clinically underweight. Also be aware of whether or not you are restricting yourself not just from certain foods but from certain ingredients so i see a lot of people who they might eat everything but they're terrified of carbohydrates right or they are terrified of fats and they'll eat a protein bar flavored with chocolate but they won't have the real thing so again goes a bit back to the forbidden fruit but also just if you are doing recovery but you're not eating any carbohydrates that you're going to feel like eating a whole loaf of bread on your own in two minutes. So instead of seeing your cravings as something scary, see it as 
as signs, as roadmaps to what you need more of. If you find yourself craving a lot of high fats food, chances are you need more fats. If you find yourself craving very high calorie foods, that's need more calories. If you find yourself craving high carbohydrate fruits, then you probably need more carbohydrates. And my advice is when you crave a specific food, eat that food instead of whatever so-called healthy replacement of that food. Of course, if you if you have the food at hand, I mean, if you're really craving muffins and there's no way to get muffin, it's okay to have a cake if that's all you have in the fridge, right? But try and follow your cravings as much as logistically possible. I will do an episode on extreme hunger alone and also like on binging, all of these things, because it is one of my favorite topics. And this was just a very brief answer So I will do an in-depth episode about it soon. So I hope that will be helpful. But overall, keep eating and trust that your body knows how much food it needs and knows what is a healthy weight for your body. Anyways, that was it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope to see you in next episode as well. And if you have a question that you want me to answer in this podcast, then send an email to contact at letsrecover.co.uk.